0: Ironically, the word the Lord has given me for today is rather short. You ready for it? Why are you in such a hurry? Maybe it's just me, but I wonder if this question has the application for you as well. Just this week, uh, I opened up the Maps app in my phone. I can't remember where I was going, but I needed help getting there. So I typed in the address and multiple options of ways I could arrive at my destination showed up. The first option on the screen said, 58 minutes, avoids highways. The second option said, 53 minutes, fastest route. And for a split second, I was like, is this a trick? Because in my mind, I'm thinking, why on earth would I not want the fastest route? Never mind what the longer trip might afford me, what landscape I might be able to see or enjoy, or what perils or traffic I might avoid. In my mind, time is money. <laughs> so if I can get to where I'm going five minutes faster, that's always the way to go. Don't look at me like that. Because you're all sitting here leisurely on a Sunday morning at church sipping your coffee, but now put yourself in the middle of a hectic work week like I was, and then be honest with yourself. Which option would you have chosen? That's what I thought. We're all in a rush. We got those self-scan lanes at Meijer so we can avoid the pesky lines and the possibility of having to have an actual conversation with a human being at the register. <laughs> Nobody takes a lunch hour anymore. We just drive through the fast food line or better yet, DoorDash something to the office so we can check that essential off the to-do list. We frenetically scroll through social media trying to figure out what's going on in our community or our world. Because who's got time to watch a news broadcast or read a paper anymore? And if your house is anything like mine, I'm afraid to say family dinner far too often involves the use of the microwave. Because we got stuff we gotta get to. All this brings me back to that pesky question. Why are you in such a hurry? What's causing us to always be looking for the quickest way to get from point A to point B? Most of the time for me, the answer lies somewhere in the destination, or at least my perception of the destination, and this belief that if I can just get there, if I can fast forward, if you will, to a different place or the next thing, then everything will be okay, easier, better somehow than it is right now. And so we frantically struggle to move away from the present into the future towards a destination we believe is superior. And we take extraordinary and often uh, incredibly fruitless measures in order to expedite our journeys. But as we have spent the last many weeks exploring the story of the Exodus, it's occurred to me that in establishing and executing his covenant with Israel, God was anything but efficient, at least in my calculations. I actually Googled the trip from Egypt to Israel, and I found that the estimated journey on foot takes somewhere between eight and 11 days. In other words, in just over a week, you can make this monumental trek that we've been reading about, depending on how much sleep you require. And yet we're told that because of Israel's faithlessness, doubting God's promise to help them overtake the Amalekites and the Canaanites, Yahweh slightly extended their journey to 40 years. He did not choose the fastest route option and he gave them a royal detour. The book of Numbers tells us that this was God's response to Israel's disobedience. There's no doubt about it. But it occurs to me that this might also be evidence of God's priority and value of process over terminus. And an instance where we're reminded that sometimes the journey might just be as important as the destination in our lives. Look, it's no secret. God was not happy with Israel for their lack of faith and their lack of courage to take the land he had promised to give them but it strikes me that he didn't lead them out to the middle of nowhere and then disappear. He went with them. God stayed among them despite their continual screw ups, despite their ongoing complaints, despite their ingratitude for the number of ways God provided day in and day out for them. Despite the countless times Israel offended the very God who rescued them from their enslavement in Egypt. And in this long encirclement of the wilderness, we see time and time again that God's commitment to deliver Israel wasn't just about getting them out of Egypt into a new and better location. It was about getting Egypt out of Israel, about transforming them. And this radical transformation required a relationship with God, one that required time and process to develop. So when we reframe the wilderness as Pastor Steve postured last week, as this place where the transforming work of building and deepening our relationship with our creator can occur, I think our outlook, our outlook on the longer route to our destination can become less ominous and foreboding. Now, I'm not saying anybody goes looking for the wilderness here, because if you've ever experienced a season of life where you've been um, enduring painstaking waiting, aimless wandering, or seemingly endless hardship and difficulty, then I think you know what it is to yearn for the promised land, to pray that today is the day you get the diagnosis you've been hoping for. To pray that today is the day the money shows up that you need to pay the bill. Or to pray that today is the day you finally are reconciled to the family member for whom you've been estranged for far too long. But finding ourselves in the middle of these situations, I think the temptation is to fixate on what could be. Uh, to try to do everything you possibly can to block out what actually is and to cry out to God for instantaneous rapture. Deliver us! And this is actually a long and repeated pattern in human history. If we think about it, it truly is. Uh, I think in the Bible, we hear this plea of God's people asking to be fast fast-forward, forwarded to a perceived better destination over and over and over again. This was in part the cry of the crowd that was gathered that day outside of Jerusalem at the beginning of Christ's Passion Week. We heard that story earlier today. John tells us uh, that the crowd who gathered there was uh, awaiting Jesus's arrival as they gathered to celebrate the Passover. Does anybody remember what Passover celebrates? Anyone? The Exodus, yes. It was this huge party where they would commemorate the journey of Israel from their enslavement in Egypt through the wilderness to the promised land. So they're all gathered together for that purpose. And yet, ironically, once again, we find Israel here looking for a way out, this time they're seeking an escape from the socio-political oppression that they were experiencing under the rule of Rome. And so much like their ancestors who had endured 400 years of slavery and then these 40 years of trekking through the wilderness, these first century Hebrews felt a similar sense of wandering and waiting to be delivered from the heavy hand of Caesar that is now upon them. These people had undoubtedly heard of this Jesus who had healed the sick and the blind, who just the day before had raised a man, Lazarus, from the dead. And with their gaze fixated on getting out of this oppressive state of being, this one who could do these miraculous things and who taught with such authority and wisdom seemed like the perfect rescuer. So they welcomed Jesus into their celebration with pomp and fanfare. Waving palm branches, John tells us, which were signs of royal acknowledgement from the Maccabean era, which was another wilderness-like experience in these people's history. They shouted, Hosanna, which some translators will tell you simply means, praise God, our deliverer is here. But other translations of this acclamation give us a little different window into the crowd's expectation of Jesus that day. Because Hosanna can be interpreted as save now. Save now, today, take us out of this place to some better, other, different destination. Fastest route, fastest route, Hosanna, And so they chanted and they cheered for this one they perceived to be a political revolutionary, this rabbi who was coming into their holy city who they believed would bring about immediate relief and deliverance from their present turmoil and oppression. But I wonder if in their rush to get relief, in their rush to arrive at this perceived, preferred destination in the fastest way possible, did Israel once again miss God in their midst? Were they so busy looking for a political revolutionary who would be like an escape pod for their problems that they missed Jesus, God incarnate? The God who was placing himself right in the middle of the wilderness with them, enduring every test and every trial they were experiencing all because he wanted to relate to them. He wanted to have relationship with them. He was God who longed to prepare them, not for evacuation, but true salvation. So here we are 2,000 years later on Palm Sunday nearing the end of the season of Lent, the season where we are invited to walk with Jesus through the long and often difficult realities of the human experience and existence on the earth. And in my mind, this season, and particularly this week that is before us, Holy Week, is a perfect example of God's value of process beyond just destination or outcome. Think about it. If Jesus was the solution, if he was the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world, which we know he was, why did he need to live on this earth for 33 years? Why did God need to take on flesh and experience all the pains and difficulty that this world offers in being cold and tired? And sick and hungry in being tempted and tried. Having need. More specifically, why was there the need for this particular upcoming week of anguish? Why not just fast forward to Calvary? Or better yet, fast forward to the resurrection. I think it's because in the midst of Christ's passion, we hear echoes of the Exodus. And I'm not just talking about the end goal of deliverance. We know where this story is heading. We know where the destination lies. But as God pursued and persisted in relating with Israel in the wilderness following their release from Egypt, so God pursues relationship with his creation, even still today in the person of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus entered the Passover celebration and he continued his interaction and engagement of the crowds. Even though they would become less enthusiastic and more impatient as the week unfolded. Even though their rush for relief would continue to impair their ability to enjoy and appreciate the time they still had to get to know their Messiah. N.T. Wright once wrote that sometimes we need to slow down in order to catch up to God. And I wonder if this is partially what the journey through the wilderness is all about. If this is partially what the journey of Holy Week and the invitation to suffer with Christ is all about. Because what if at times God takes us into the depths of the wilderness? so that we can experience the promise and the love of God in deeper and more intense ways. What if we're in such a hurry to get to the other side of whatever it is we're experiencing that we miss the opportunity that's been presented to us to know him in this more deep and richly rooted manner? It occurs to me in the, the text we just heard read from Exodus Moses didn't tell the nation of Israel to run faster from their enemies. He didn't tell them to think better, come up with a great solution for the latest sticky situation they found themselves in. He said, just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. Be still, stay here, right in the middle of the chaos and the mess and the uncertainty, because it's in this place with all of its dark, desolate and even deeply disappointing detours that you will know God in greater measure. So what if there's something in the journey of the wilderness that can only be ours in the wandering? In the hour by hour, day by day, Sometimes, year by year, surrendering of ourselves to the process of growing in and understanding our relationship with God, even in the midst of seasons or situations that look so different than the destination we had in mind. What if it's in that place that we realize, unlike us, God's highest value isn't efficiency, but love? And so he calls us not quickly to the next thing, but rather to linger in the present and to value marks and modes of relationship over rush. This has been convicting to me this week. I hate that. I'd rather preach the thing I've already conquered. This has not been the case. So the question is how do we do this, right? How do we slow it down? This morning, as we respond to the word, I wanna invite you to consider some questions that I feel like the Lord has been asking me. And some of these you're gonna need to consider on your own. They might take you some time. Others, you might need to invite others into to help you along the way. But I think the place to start is to call out the wilderness you're in. Ask yourself, what's the situation or the season of life you're presently in that you feel in a hurry to get to the other side of. I asked some of you about this this week, and in many cases, I didn't need to ask the question because I know the situations you're dealing with and I could have guessed the answer. For some of you, this season is cancer. For some of you, it's divorce. It's a child who's turned away from faith or the loss of a loved one, the loss of a job. For others of you, it may not be so obvious, but whatever it is, it's important that you define the season first. Be honest with God that this is not the destination you've had in mind. And if you're sitting there thinking, well, I'm not really in a season that, that's, that, that is that dire, I'd still challenge you, with this, challenge you with this question because so often we find ourselves looking ahead to the next season that we hope is more fulfilling more promising, more exciting. And I think that's a season we have to acknowledge before God as well. Next, ask yourself, how might you intentionally face this season and be mindful of where God is near? Where is God drawing you into deeper relationship with himself? If you're like me, this might be one you have to think about because as much as I would like to tell you, you just will yourself to be more mindful of God's presence. My track record here is not stellar. Let me encourage you, be specific here. Maybe you need to start or end your day with a prayer of gratitude, acknowledging the blessings of God in your life in spite of the challenges and the wandering. Maybe you need to make a list in a journal or on a sticky note that you place on your mirror or your refrigerator or somewhere you're gonna see a lot. But a chance for you amidst the challenges of your life to acknowledge where you see the presence of God alongside you in the journey. Any number of ways you could do this, but the first step is to conscientiously acknowledge that God is with you in the journey. Then as you wander about through the season, ask yourself, what am I learning about God? What am I learning about myself? What am I learning about my community that I would not know if it weren't for this season? Because if God uses our desert wanderings to help deepen our relationship with him, then gosh darn it, we ought to be able to identify what we're learning about him in this process, right? I know I would never have the understanding I have today of God as Redeemer had it not been for seasons where I was confronted with my sin and asked to confess before God and others where I needed their forgiveness. Would I willfully choose to go through that again? No, probably not. But I'm so grateful for what that season has shaped in me, the gift that it is in my journey with Christ. So don't miss these opportunities. Take time to acknowledge and linger in the gifts the wilderness presents you with that can only be found there. Then you ask yourself, how can you invite others into this journey with you? Where's that hard? And how does allowing others to walk beside you give you another window in understanding more about who God is and how he is there with you. Again, I wish I could tell you I'm better at this, but I don't like to burden people. So my first response here is, why would I want to invite someone I care about into my journey through the wilderness? The answer is because this is what God created community for. God took on flesh and made his dwelling among us, modeling for us our understanding and relationship with our creator and understanding that that comes in large part from our understanding and relationship with one another. And so as we walk beside others through the wilderness, we recognize more fully and understand more fully God in our midst. First John four tells us that if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So letting others journey alongside us even through life's roughest terrain is part of God's design and plan. Lastly, as we close today, I actually wanna give you about 60 seconds of silence. I won't draw it out longer than that. If you're in a hurry, don't worry. It's good discipline for us. But 60 seconds of silence to consider what is one next step of obedience you can take In this journey to slow down, no matter where you are in the desert or the wanderings, what is one next step you can take to slow down? Not again to the end that you're rushing towards a destination, but that you're ensuring you are in step with God in this process.